One light, two lights, three lights, four lights, five lights. Hamilton took his 91st Formula 1 Grand Prix win, matching Michael Schumacher's record from 2006. He pounced on a mistake from Valtteri Bottas after Bottas had scored an excellent pole position. He then retired, and this allowed Hamilton to open up a 69-point lead in the Drivers' World Championship, moving him ever closer to that 7th World Title. He was chased home by Max Verstappen, who finished in second place, and there was a podium for Daniel Ricciardo for Renault in the Eiffel Grand Prix. This episode of the Five Headlights, I ask whether Valtteri Bottas could have recovered his race from the early pit stop. Should Nico Hulkenberg be on Red Bull's radar after being super sub again for Racing Point? And we'll weigh up the pros and cons of the two-day weekend. My name is Aaron. This is the Five Red Lights Podcast. The lights are out, so let's go, go, go. My name is Aaron. This is the Five Red Lights podcast, and we're looking back on the Eiffel Grand Prix, the first ever Eiffel Grand Prix at the Nurburgring. Um, great to be back there. Great to see the cars on a, a, a historic racetrack again, with the circuit being surrounded by grass and gravel and little, very little runoff area, but all the while retaining a, a real big challenge in terms of the actual layout. Um, and Lewis Hamilton came out on top. He won. For the 91st time, an incredible 91 wins. This is just, I grew up watching the dominance of Ferrari and Schumacher. And he set that 91 and the seven world championships. I thought I'd never see anyone dare to, even dare to get near it. But with Hamilton, there's always been, the, I've always had this feeling that he had the ability to do it. And now he's done it. He's matched the 91 wins. Um Kind of handed to him on a plate, really, by teammate Bottas. So let's start at the beginning of the race. Bottas, to his credit, battled really hard on the opening up to retain that lead after qualifying on pole. And his pole position lap was just outstanding. In Q2, he was half a second off of Hamilton. And to swing it back, not just to, to match Hamilton, to get closer to Hamilton, but to surpass him and swing it three quarters of a second was just outrageous. It, you don't see that from a teammate. Okay, I think Bottas made a couple of mistakes in his Q2 laps. But still, that would have been playing on his mind in Q3. And with the pressure on, Verstappen nipping at the Mercedes heels as well. And actually fastest of anybody after their first runs. Credit where credit's due for Valtteri Bottas. He put in a super lap. Hamilton, uh, not quite the stellar lap that we are used to seeing from him but otherwise let's give the credit to Bottas because he did an excellent job on the Saturday and then on the Sunday he, he didn't make a great start this is where he struggled really in against Hamilton and Lewis made the better start Peter has got a really good record for winning at the Nürburgring as Hamilton himself pulled off in 2011 getting past uh, Mark Webber at the start of the race and going on um, through some more exciting uh, races from that season. There was uh, there was some action at the front between Hamilton, Webber and Alonso, and he went on to win that race. So Hamilton makes the better stop, gets up the inside. But to see Valtteri 
stick it out around the outside after Hamilton has sort of walked him wide. And Bottas, in, in some ways, he he took a risk because Hamilton walked him as far wide as he would. It would probably do with anyone. And then he took as much of the racetrack as he could, basically. There was a there was a curb and a bit of dirt, and Bottas essentially went over that. He could so easily have dropped the car and spun out, taken himself out of the race. He could have taken Hamilton out of the race. And, you know, who who knows what would have happened from there. And everyone else behind them could have just, we could have had another uh, Mugello moment where cars were just spearing into each other left, right and centre. But he found good purchase and he floored it. He absolutely went for it in turn two. Snatched back the advantage. And Hamilton was uh, kind of wrong-footed. Uh, almost losing P2 to Verstappen. I liked uh, David, Co- David Coulthard's commentary on the... Uh, Channel 4 highlights that I watched uh, the, uh, the day after. This is actually being recorded on the Thursday when you're moving house, things do tend to get pushed around a little bit in your schedule. So Coulthard sort of walked, talked us through Hamilton. Yeah, yeah, we've got it done. That, that, that'll do. That's the lead. And then Bottas comes back up the inside and he's like, cannot compute. Brilliant. Well done to Bottas because that is the Valtteri we need to see going up against Lewis Hamilton. Um, but unfortunately, he he didn't. He didn't keep that advantage. He he moved away early on in the in the opening laps, opened up a 1.8 second lead, and then Hamilton started taking some bites out of it. And by lap 12, it was down to just over a second. Hamilton was on the warpath. Really, he was coming to get Bottas. Whether he would have been able to make the move, I'm not sure, because DRS wasn't quite as powerful as I thought it might be. Down the, especially down the main straight and the back straight, the back straight, because because of the the sweeping right, it becomes a a question of the arrow and how closely are you following? And because you've got the, got to follow through um, turn ten and eleven, the the left and then the long right, it does make it tricky to get the move done into the chicane. But if you can hold yourself close enough to the car in front, you get yourself a really good tow. Um. But Bottas made that mistake with the lockup, and it was interesting that Hamilton said after the race that he could see that Bottas was graining his front tyres, and that induced the lockup because he didn't have the grip because he was then losing temperature, and he flat spotted the tyre. Disaster for Valtteri, because not only does he run wide, he ends up losing the lead. Um, had Lewis been on been on his tail, I think Bottas might have been able to defend over the next few corners because it, it's a little switchback section the opening. Uh, four corners of the Nürburgring layout at the moment. So by this point, Valtteri has suffered this flat spot, which really compromised his race. He then had to come in. From there, I think Hamilton would have been in a much more difficult race with Bottas because Bottas then got this massive undercut and was on a two-stop. So if Hamilton had gone for the one-stop, Bottas would have had fresh fresh air tyres at the end, almost like we saw with uh, Daniel Ricciardo and Sergio Perez. So for Hamilton to have won that race, he would have really had to get on with things. That said, he did have the pace. <laughs> once, he got, once he got into the lead, he, he just took off from Verstappen and opened up a lead of several seconds. Could Bottas have come back? Absolutely. He really had the pace around the Nürburgring this weekend. He was holding Hamilton at bay. I think Hamilton would have been looking after his tyres early on, and then he moved closer. And I maybe, maybe this, could, this could be completely wide of the mark, but given the cold temperatures, perhaps Hamilton was able to keep his tyres in because they were 
actually warming up from following another car. Bottas having clear air. Okay, it keeps everything internally really cool, but the tyres, because it was so cold, maybe they weren't getting the necessary temperature into them, and then therefore they grain. I'm not an engineer or a tyre specialist, but that could that's a little theory that I have. Maybe that's why Bottas was graining his front tyres, um, and also Charles Leclerc struggled with front graining on the Ferrari uh, and had to pit early too. And they Leclerc didn't have the pace to keep up with Verstappen, so a big gap opened up um, in front of him. So perhaps actually running in clear air induced graining, and um, especially early on in the heavy, heavy tanks. Um, and that, that became Bottas's undoing. Could he have come back? Yes, but I think the VSC for George Russell's stricken Williams really scuppered all of that because by that point, Hamilton and Verstappen had gained track position on him and were on new tyres. I think they would have probably pitted later on towards the end anyway, especially if Bottas had still been in the race. Mercedes would have two-stopped. Um, Hamilton as well. But then what would Verstappen have done? I think Verstappen might have stayed out and then would have had a hungry 2019 situation on our hands. So it would it would have become it became much more difficult for Bottas to to win that race, having made that mistake, and then with the consequential virtual safety car. Uh, but then his bad luck struck. He he had an engine issue, power unit issue, and then that was the end of his race. He had no electrical deployment. It, um, yeah, what can you say? What can you say? It's, it's, just, it's just a bad time to be Valtteri Bottas at the moment. For every good thing he does, there's something bad that happens. It's one step forward, two steps back almost. Having won in Russia and then taken the pole in Nürburgring, he comes out of the race with a mistake that costs him the lead and then compromises his strategy before the car lets him down. The first uh, mechanical retirement for uh, Mercedes this season, or first retirement of any kind. From there, Hamilton really cruised to the finish. He had Verstappen covered. Uh, Max wasn't as close, as close as I thought he might be or as hoped or hoped he might be during the race. So it was a pretty straightforward finish. And Hamilton perfected the restart, got the jump on Max, who actually had to defend from Daniel Ricciardo into turn one at the restart. And there was no catching Hamilton because he was setting purple sectors everywhere and setting fast slaps. Although Hamilton didn't uh, finish with the fastest lap, that went to Max Verstappen by six hundredths of a second, I think. Um, yeah, it was just just another day at the office for Lewis Hamilton, where he turns up, he does an excellent job with the best equipment, and leaves no opportunity for someone else to take the victory from him. Basically, uh, Bottas could have. Could have uh, taken the win had he not made the mistake or had he not retired. It, was, it would have been a little bit more interesting. But it was Hamilton's day and he matched Schumacher's record of 91 wins. Uh, as a Hamilton fan for his whole career, it was great a great moment for me personally and for obviously for Hamilton fans around the world. If you've seen the, the clip of the... Uh, the fans in Brazil jumping up and down with the balloons. It was a lovely thing to see. And given everything that's going on at the moment, where everything's all a bit rubbish, and especially in um, England, where we don't know if we're coming or going with different restrictions, to have that moment of joy 
uh, and watch someone do something unique and special and match an all-time record is is really heartwarming and it gives gives value to what what we're doing as fans watching and enjoying the sport and shows you to, to never give up um, in life at all. So let's move on from Mercedes and let's have a look at their closest challengers, Red Bull. Now, we're not going to talk about Max Verstappen here. Let's talk about Alex Albon. It was a pretty rubbish weekend from him. I think that's the worst I've seen him drive in his time in Formula One. Uh, when he was Alpha Tauri or Toro Rosso last year, he did a tidy job. He got the call up and he did the business in terms of what Red Bull needed from him because Pierre Gasly kind of set the bar low. So Alex was able to surpass that because he was able to overtake people. Pierre got stuck. Now in 2020, I think obviously you've got to take everything into consideration and you've got to look at the factors around him. Max Verstappen is a force of nature. He essentially forced Daniel Ricciardo out of that team. And Daniel Ricciardo's no slouch, but he is up for a fight. He made Ricciardo consider a different avenue for his success and for his future. So Alex has kind of gone into the lion's den in, in many respects and has found it tricky this year at times. He could have won the opening race. This is the crazy thing. This is how sport, not just Formula One, just sport in general, hinges on tiny moments, small Small mistakes, small gains. And Mercedes talk about the marginal gains that they make race on race, year on year. And that's what keeps them at the top. So Alex, how do you pass Hamilton without being tipped into a spin? And then gone on to pass Bottas. He may not have had the um, engine shut down in the dying laps. Because that may or may not have been attributed to the spin with Hamilton. All of a sudden, he goes on to win the opening race. And then that takes his confidence. He he would know that, okay, the situation was different, but when push comes to shove, he can get the job done. That is a very important piece of the puzzle in a, in a sportsman's psyche. So for him to think and have it constantly weighing over him that he hasn't got that podium and that every time he gets into the podium, it goes wrong. It gets towards the podium, it goes wrong. Um, he kind of lucked in a little bit at Magello, but he still had to get the overtakes done. And he did earn it in the end. So from there, we were kind of hoping, yeah, he'll kick on and we'll see him a bit closer to the front. But Russia was messy and he had the grid penalty. So he started 15th and he finished 10th after battling with Russell and Norris at the back. Okay, everyone has a bad weekend, a weekend where you can't get on top of the setup. Okay, let's turn over a new leaf in Nürburgring. Qualifies fifth. Okay, Leclerc has done an excellent job in qualifying. No problem. Let's make sure we get the jump on him at the start. Nope, he lost a place to Ricardo. Drops to sixth. Can't make any inroads. And to make matters worse, he actually made a big lockup of the the uh, left front. I think it was because uh, he did a he did two lockups. So uh, the first lockup was the left front and. It, yeah, it kind of spiraled from there. This is the thing with Alex. When it goes wrong at the moment, it's just spiraling. So once he got himself into fresh air, 
He moved forward. His pace was really good. He was running at the same sort of pace as the leaders. And then he made another lockup when he was chasing, uh, was it? I can't remember. It was one of the Alpha Towers. I think it was Gasly. But this was after he'd also swiped across uh, Daniel Kafia like it was Tinder. And um, he swiped left, and that was, a, that was a no thank you. So he'd compromised Kafiat's race, he'd picked up an engine penalty, he'd locked up and made another flat spot on his tyres, and it was just all going wrong for him. The team called him in to retire the car because of the power unit issue. Whether there was one or not, we'll, we'll have to take Red Bull's word for it. There was. But given that Nico Hülkenberg arrived while FP3 was running, because Lance Stroll was... Um, otherwise occupied let's uh, put it that way he turns up okay he doesn't qualify very well but he's only managed to do 10 laps in the whole uh, of q1 four of them were flying laps so then end up finishing eighth with the racing point okay assisted by a few failures of other people retiring but to keep it on the road and not to run into trouble and having subbed in silverstone for perez this really opens up the question seriously of should Red Bull be looking outside their family of drivers? Now, they have said they've been looking around and they've got to. It's got to the point where they need to take this very seriously. The closest they came was, uh, I think it was 2014, where they almost put uh, Kimi Raikkonen in alongside um, Sebastian Vettel. Now they've got to be sensible with their choice. They've got a they've got a superstar in Max Verstappen, and things are complicated now by the fact that Honda have announced they're pulling out from 2021. So if Max has any engine-related clauses in his contract, he could be off. So they they need someone who's going to be able to push Max and keep him on his toes. So that if they can keep him, he's motivated he's focused um and he doesn't become disillusioned with oh well it's just me carrying the team the, the car's rubbish the engine isn't well, that's supposed to say the car's rubbish the car isn't the fastest car compared to the mercedes the engine is up in the air okay we don't know what's happening are they going to take it over themselves are they going to have renault you know i don't think max wants to go down the renault route again so it's a really important thing for Red Bull, that they have a number two doing the job. Now, I don't have any doubts that Alex Albon is capable of doing it. He has the ability to do it. And it's a bit like in football, where they talk about a player's potential ability when they're first coming through uh, onto the scene. It's a little bit like that with, with Alex. He's got the potential to be a race winner, to be podium uh, appearing on a regular basis for Red Bull. But he is not delivering on that ability at the moment for whatever reason, whether he is just not at one with the car, whether he is struggling mentally, whether he is just overdriving the car in, in uh, an attempt to wring the result out of it. In, some, in so many ways, he does need to just calm down and let the car do the work. But then 
it's, it, there are things around him, they're just happening, and it's, it's just not working out for him. Now, if you put a Sergio Perez in that car, or a Nico Hulkenberg, you're going to get a very true um, representation of the car, I think. Because they keep chopping and changing and putting young drivers into that car uh, alongside Max. They're, I think they might be losing their way in terms of their development. Now, we, see, we keep seeing Red Bull make these late games and say, yep, we're ready to challenge for the championship next year, the whole way through. And then they they are either they've stayed still and Mercedes have moved the bar even further, or they haven't quite, they just haven't caught up to Mercedes as much as they'd want. I think if you put, if you have a look back at um, when Ricardo and Verstappen were teammates, they they didn't gain hugely, but they didn't drop back quite as far. Now, I'm not saying that this would be the, the solution to all of their issues, but having a more experienced driver in the second car, like Hulkenberg, like Perez, um, maybe they could have even gone for Daniel Ricciardo before he signed for McLaren. They they would have someone who they can trust in that car, who's going to do a very good job. You know, it, we'd finally see Hulk get on the podium, I'm sure. Um, and Perez would take several podiums too, I'm, I think. Um, they may even win races. That Those two are definitely capable of that. And it's something that Red Bull really seriously need to consider because if they don't get that right, and then the engine deals fall apart and then they lose max they could be looking at a very rocky time in terms of what they do for their drivers do they keep focusing on their own driver talent that they're developing which seems to be coming back with the conveyor belt of talent that it had um at the turn of the last decade sort of the, the late two, 2000s early 2010s um and this isn't a criticism of Gasly or Albon. The ones that have come through recently just haven't quite had that edge, a little bit like Verstappen. Now, we should caveat that in that Carlos Sainz was obviously a Red Bull junior, but left the program because he didn't feel he was going to get the seat. How badly, you know, do they look back on that, that decision to allow him to leave and go to Renault? I mean, Max and Carlos could have been in the Red Bull senior team uh, from last year. And with Carlos, I think you'd have had a very good read on what that car was able to do. And, and still, um, now they're having to look further afield. Could they bring Carlos back in at some point after he's been at Ferrari? Possibly. Could they bring in Yuki Tsunoda and it's Gasly or Albon in a shootout, maybe? Who knows? But whatever they do, they need to look to the future and make sure that this choice helps them develop that car, develop the engine, if they're going to take it over themselves, the, the Honda project. And it helps them retain Max Verstappen. That is probably the biggest thing that they need to look at now. Make sure we are doing everything we can to retain Max Verstappen's services so that when we get this thing right, we've got a driver ready to win the World Championship. Okay, so let's move on to the rest of the grid and recap their races. Um, 
let's start with Ferrari and Charles Leclerc. He was the star of the show in Q3 on Saturday, uh, alongside Valtteri Bottas. But he did cause a bit of a traffic jam on race day. Um, his race pace wasn't great. The car working the tyres a little bit too hard um, in terms of the graining. And it, it forced him into that two-stopper. He pulled P7 out of the bag. Uh, was overtaken by Pierre Gasly at the restart. And really, he's putting that Ferrari in places where it doesn't deserve to be uh, based on its aerodynamic and uh, engine capabilities. He's just destroying Sebastian Vettel. It was another dismal weekend for Seb. He did say that his Q2 lap was was good. Um, E12 on the grid. Um, and then he finished out of the points as well again. You know, he's, he's only scored one point, a single point, which was in Mugello uh, since the uh, seventh place, I think it was, in the Spanish Grand Prix five races ago. Leclerc's just simply blowing him away in every aspect. It's such a shame that the Vettel-Ferrari relationship is sort of ending on a whimper, whether they went the right way about it or, or whatever, but it's just ending a bit dismally, really, isn't it? Let's move on to Racing Point. Uh, Sergio Perez, well, we know what Sergio Perez does. He qualifies well, he races well, he looks after the tyres, and when there is a sniff of a space on the podium, he's generally in the mix for it. So uh, check on all of those for this weekend. Um, his teammate, which was supposed to be Lance Stroll. He was poorly and was replaced by Nico Hulkenberg. The, the Incredible Hulk was the Incredible Super Sub, and he produced wonders, really, to be only four and a half tenths off of a Q2 place, having arrived while FP3 was still in session, uh, not driving the car since August, which has since been updated. His race was excellent and very handy eighth place in terms of the Constructors' Championship. It moves them clear of McLaren uh, into third place. Uh, what would Lance have done um, had he driven the car? I'm not sure he'd have actually achieved much more than eighth. Perhaps a sixth sixth place. So a few more points, yes. But given where Hulkenberg started the weekend, that that is very, very good from him. And really, it just begs the question, why is he not on the grid full-time? Why was he not at the track to start with for Orsindia, for Racing Point? Uh, and why isn't anyone snapping up snapping up anyway? Let's uh, check out McLaren's weekend. Carlos Sainz, it was a solid weekend from Carlos, and he really needed a race where he just stayed out of trouble, really. He'd uh, been involved in incidents in both of the last two races. Uh, one not his fault in Magellan, one completely his fault in Russia, uh, having stood on the podium in Monza. He had the new front end on the McLaren, and he suffered from graining at the front tyres. So... Kind of struggled there a little bit. He said it was um, a real a real struggle for 60 laps, but fifth place, not to be uh, not to be disparaged, but better balance and perhaps he could have challenged a little bit harder for that opportunity of a podium. But more good points from McLaren. It shows that that trend is continuing. That they're just there in the midfield. They're scoring the points, and when their midfield Rivals in Renault and uh, not again, uh, Racing Point um, dropped the ball. They will be on hand to to snap up the goods. Lando Norris uh, suffered a bit of a issue with his power unit, so he managed had to manage this issue. It was a sensor issue, and he did this brilliantly. He was plugging in all the 
driver defaults um, as and when he was required to, but then the power unit just gave up completely and brought us that lovely late safety car. Up to that point, really tidy weekend and further proof that his talent will surely bring him race wins in the future. So not all is lost for Lando, even though he, he gave us a, a lovely meme sitting uh, in the deck chair, Fernando Alonso style. Let's move on to Renault and have a look at the uh, banana cars. Daniel Ricciardo scored his first podium uh, with an excellent drive. Would his tyres have held on without the safety car? Had he been, Would he have been able to uh, keep Sergio Perez behind? We'll never know. He might have uh, managed his tyres brilliantly and then had enough spare to defend because we, we saw in uh, Spa he managed his tyres better than those uh, ahead of him and was actually chasing the top three down uh, in the final laps. His well-timed stop in the early, safety, uh, early virtual safety car gave him that big advantage and he used it well. It was a well-timed stop. So uh, well done to Renault on that. Esteban Ocon, on the other hand, DNF, overshadowed by Ricardo all weekend, really. Um, yeah, it's not quite coming together for Esteban, but he's got a quite formidable, formidable, formidable opponent uh, in Daniel Ricardo, uh, And uh, you'd think it gets easier <laughs> when Ricardo moves on, but it doesn't. Uh, Fernando Alonso is coming. Alpha Tari. Should Pierre Gasly be swapping with Alex Albon in 2021? Well, we've suggested that. I've suggested that Nico Hockenberg could be in that seat. But, you know, Pierre is making a very strong case. Ever, ever since he went back to Alfa Tari or Toro Rosso last season, he's been brilliant. Another fine performance uh, Eiffel Grand Prix, moving from 12th to finish 6th. Um, it's not an easy answer whether Albon should stay in the car or be replaced. But, you know, Pierre is making a very good claim for it. He stayed out of trouble, bagged more helpful points. Um, and that, that can't be said for Daniel Kafia, his teammate. He, the torpedo had his race torpedoed by Alex Albon with that tangle where Alex just pulled across him. But Daniel made a mistake. He he lost that position because he, he went too deep into the chicane, ran across the grass um, and presented Alex with the opportunity. Albon would surely have got by anyway, but... There's no, there's no need to go making it easier for other people. Without the front wing damage, he may have been able to grab a point or two at the end, but uh, we'll never know. Moving on to Alfa Romeo and Kimi Raikkonen. He broke the record for the most Formula 1 Grand Prix started. And uh, as we could all see, he was absolutely chuffed about it. Uh, but interestingly, on the day he became the most experienced driver, he made a very rookie mistake losing the car. Uh, behind Sebastian Vettel and ruining George Russell's race by trying to send him into orbit. Uh, picked up a five-second penalty, B12, not really much else to say. It was a bit of a damp squib of a weekend for Kimi. On the other hand, Antonio Giovinazzi, he made a great start, moving up from 14th to 11th, having actually got out of Q1 for the first time this season. So well done to Antonio. Managed his race well, actually ran as high as P8 before his second stop and uh, finished P10 actually takes him ahead of Kimi Raikkonen in the uh, driver's standings. So, you know, Alpha, are they getting Giovinazzi, getting rid of Giovinazzi too early? Is he about to come good? You know, we'll, we'll just wait and see. If he, if he carries on this run of form to the end of the season, um, then it might, it might beg the question, should they be letting Kimi go? Or 
Should they be holding off Mick Schumacher or putting him somewhere else? Like Haas, perhaps. Um, and talking of their two drivers, Grosjean and Magnussen. Two points for Roman Grosjean, no points for Magnussen. It didn't quite work out for K-Mag. Uh, pretty anonymous. Uh, Grosjean, on the other hand, he got a wrap on the knuckles from some gravel when he was behind Kimi Raikkonen and to end up P9, having done something slightly different to everyone else. Uh, I think he went on the hard went on the hard tyres in the middle of stint and went a little bit longer. And it paid off, paid dividends, got a couple of points from it, and that's handy for uh, Haas. Now, we know Grosjean's seat is up for grabs, but is Kevin Magnussen's seat available too? That That is something that could be potentially happening because it just doesn't... Those two don't seem to be working well with each other. I don't think they are getting the best out of the car either. And finally, uh, Williams, George Russell, he was running pretty well until uh, Kimi Raikkonen had his amateur hour moment and just sort of swiped him out of the race. I think he did try to carry on. I think he was hoping he would be able to, but the suspension was damaged, puncture. That was curtains for George. Uh, Nicholas Latifi did okay. He ran as high as P12, but he didn't box for soft tyres under the late safety car, and that hurt him quite badly. Uh, so he didn't actually make any progress. He lost places to Kimi Raikkonen and to Sebastian Vettel, uh, but he did manage to stay ahead of uh, Daniel Kafiat by the by the flag. So that is everybody's uh, race. Sort of a, a few a few comments on everyone, even though we'd spoken about um, Lewis, Valtteri, Max, and uh, Alex. I'll touch earlier. Well, let's move on uh, from the individual drivers and let's have a look at how the weekend itself panned out because we didn't actually get any running at all on Friday because of the medical helicopter not being able to fly. Now, it wasn't because it couldn't take off from the Nürburgring circuit itself. It was not able to actually reach its destination. So they came up with a couple of solutions uh, for Saturday and Sunday, uh, the FIA, uh, Michael Massey and the, the rest of the stewards, and hey presto, the sunshine came out. So we were reduced to a two-day weekend in effect, similar to how we're going to have at Imola, although I believe that's going to be a 90-minute uh, 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 practice session before qualifying. So how did a two-day weekend work? Well, it didn't really change anything in terms of the running order. But it did have that sort of variation in that, um, trying to find the right word for it, it's not unpredictability, but that there was a sense of an intrigue about what was going to happen. There was an unknown element. Mercedes, did they get the best out of their car? I think they might have underperformed in qualifying, but and then they still went on and won the race. Red Bull was still... Uh, the closest challengers. Uh, Ferrari was still lagging behind where they, they really want to be. And the midfield order was pretty much the same. So two-day weekends are are helpful, but you need that, you need like an added element really. So uh, you need rain or you need uh, a crazy race with safety cars. And we did get safety cars. The race itself had all the ingredients for one of those crazy races, but it just it didn't quite come together in, in that way. Um, it was great to be back at the Nürburgring because it just has that 
unique setting, and this is what you get with the Nurburgring. The, these strange weather conditions and the mist and the fog that had come down on Friday led us to almost the tip of a uh, a real big shake-up in the order, but it didn't quite get that far. If we'd still, if we'd still had the rain um, come Saturday morning and it had sort of in and out, that would have made it a lot more tricky, a lot more unpredictable, and definitely, definitely a much more exciting prospect in terms of the race. But I think we still got a, a really good race from the Nurburgring circuit because the layout of the track it works well. It, it challenges the drivers, it challenges the car, and it rewards skilled driving. It rewards good driving. So to see cars chasing each other down the pit straight, it wasn't an easy overtake. You, look, you take uh, Ricardo's pass on Leclerc. He was boxed up behind him for seven or eight laps, and he'd had a go because Leclerc made a mistake. Uh, I think it was lap six. He made the first lockup, and they then duked it out through turns three and f turns two, three, and four. And you know, Charles had to defend well, and then. Daniel had to close up again, and he made the move, and he, he set he set him up uh, with the wide line into turn one, and then got round the outside into turn through turn two and into turn three. So it rewards skillful driving, smart driving, and I think if you had a wet race there, we had a wet race. Obviously, well, I say we had a wet race. We had a a monsoon in two thousand and seven where the race was red flagged. So. A wet race there would be really interesting because there would be some clever lines being taken and you might see some drivers uh, outfoxing each other in one place and then catching each other out somewhere else. So it'd just generally be uh, a very, very interesting race to watch and, and to be a part of. Overall, I think Nürburgring should be kept on the calendar. It's one of those historic venues along with the likes of Silverstone, and Monza and Monte Carlo that are integral to motorsport history, not just Formula One, but motorsport. You have uh, the 24 hours uh, of the Nürburgring a couple of weeks ago. So should it be back? Yes, but, you know, money talks. And obviously they did the, the uh, on and off with the Hockenheim over several years and then that, that that stopped and Hockenheim doesn't always have the finances to commit so you know at one point we didn't have a German Grand Prix this season and then we did have a race in Germany with the Nürburgring stepping in because of the the situation we find ourselves in but it wasn't a German Grand Prix because that circuit doesn't hold the the rights to the the name strange situation but you know it's, it's a it's a race in Germany at the end of the day but a two-day weekend to look forward to at Imola after the uh, race in Portimao, which comes up next. And I think perhaps with a, a new circuit, again, hour and a half of running, it it's not going to change a whole lot, but it's just going to be a little bit easier on the mechanics and then the guys doing the work there, I think, really, isn't it? But overall, a, a, a good race uh, for F1. Obviously, with Lewis Hamilton matching the record for, for wins. A watchable race. Uh, lots of action in the midfield, as, as usual. Overtakes. We had the safety cars, which spiced things up a bit. Different strategies, which was excellent. 
Um, probably could have seen Ricardo go for a two-stop late on versus Perez's one-stop and swung Benjamin back in his favour in terms of the tyre life. And really, that's what we need to see. Circuits that reward good driving and offer up opportunities for variation on strategy. Um, and that provides good racing in the end. So that is the end of the show today, uh, this week, episode 19. Uh, ironically, it's uh, episode 19 and it is 91 wins for Lewis Hamilton. So it's kind of backwards there, which I noticed in recording this. Thanks for listening, if you've made it this far. Uh, leave a, a, ra a, a rating, a, uh, a review, that's the word I'm looking for. Um, and share some, some of your feedback, that would be lovely to hear. Um, and we look forward to our first race in Portimao. Portuguese Grand Prix is coming back. And I, I, I for one, am really excited, actually, because it's, it's a really interesting track. There could be a couple of DRS zones. I'm not, there's definitely be one on the, on the main straight. It's a really long straight, so we might have some overtaking there. DRS might be really powerful, but, but we'll wait and see. So I'll see you in that episode, which will be after the... Portuguese Grand Prix. But for now, uh, if you want some more five red lights action, check out our YouTube channel where we have our top three performers. Uh, check out our Instagram and our Twitter. I'll leave all of the links in the description of the um, of the podcast. That's what it is. <laughs> We're doing a podcast today. Uh, my name's Aaron. This has been the five red lights. The lights are out. And so is this podcast. Bye for now. <laughs>